Welcome to the Physics Buzz Podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella. You're listening to a voice recorded by Alexander Graham Bell over 130 years ago. It's hard to make out what the speaker's actually saying, it's something about a cotton mill. The important thing is that this is among the first recorded sounds in history. What's more, no one's been able to listen to it almost since it was recorded. I'm going to start out by handing this off to Carlene Stevens, a curator at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, to fill us in on the story of the amazing lab that made these recordings in the 1880s and the particle physicists that decoded them more than a century later. Well, Alexander Graham Bell is one of those household names in American invention. He's associated in almost everyone's mind with inventing the telephone. The telephone was one of his many interests. In the 1880s, um, Alexander Graham Bell, uh, uh, after his success with the telephone, uh, decided to set his sights on sound recording. This is Carl Haber, a scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. Mostly he designs particle sensors for projects like CERN's Atlas Detector, but he also specializes in rendering playable audio from old wax cylinders and phonographs. And he set up a laboratory in Washington called the Volta Lab because he received a large prize from the Volta Foundation as a prize for his invention of the telephone. And he invested that money in a research lab. He starts to tinker with sound recording and experiment and improve. It wasn't clear at all what a sound recording should be. It wasn't clear what material it should be made from. It wasn't clear how sound should be recorded. After five or six years, the the Volta Associates patented what became the wax cylinder. And uh, that was a big development for them and had all sorts of commercial aspects uh, later on. But before reaching that conclusion, they explored uh, a very interesting range of different possible ways to record sound. Some of what he tried was way out there and had no real chance of working. But some of his experiments really presaged a lot of the recording technology that was to come over the next hundred years. The Volta Associates experimented with magnetic recording. They tried making disks uh, very much earlier than anyone has uh, thought that recording discs were made. They experimented with a tape recorder. The tape wasn't magnetic, it was a wax-covered tape. They experimented with transmitting messages on a beam of light, which is today's fiber optics, uh, broadly interpreted. Their, Their efforts could also be seen in the way that sound is applied or sound was applied to moving picture film. They uh, used various devices to hold uh, materials um, like brass, like copper to press um, negatives of, of recording so that they could duplicate them. So there was a huge flowering of technological creativity and invention uh, in the Volta Association and the Volta Lab. They were willing to experiment broadly to see where the activity would take them and 
because they were willing to experiment broadly um, in, a, in a diligent way, they, uh, they actually have some results. Fortunately, there's a fairly complete record of what these results were. Bell was very, very uh, concerned about patent and rights and so forth, uh, who was the primary inventor of things. So um, he took uh, and deposited the evidence and documentation and mechanical examples of what he did. Repeatedly, he brought them to the Smithsonian. The recording sat at the Smithsonian for decades. As time wore on, they either became too fragile or we're in a format too archaic to be played back. The reason that we haven't been able to play these recordings back in the time that they've been at the Smithsonian is largely because we don't have playback apparatus. We have received from the Volta Lab some of their apparatus, but we have not been able to connect a recording, a process, and a piece of apparatus yet. And so our project was to look at a very small number of but representative Volta items and to apply as appropriate the two-dimensional and three-dimensional optical scanning technologies to try and play these, in some cases, cracked or unplayable or mysterious recordings back. And we succeeded in, in getting reasonable sound off all six of them that we looked at. What are the technologies you use? Well, so the basic idea is... Um, is to take an, a digital image of a sound carrier, meaning a phonograph record or a cylinder or even something more experimental. Um, uh, take an image uh, which is uh, so detailed and it's such high resolution that um, a computer could analyze through an appropriate algorithm the shape of the surface and calculate how a, a stylus, a needle, would move through that surface in order to reproduce the sound. So we essentially digitize, image and digitize, and then replay virtually with a virtual playback turntable uh, the sound. In this recording, you can hear one of the associates making a trilling sound, count to six, and then trill twice again. Then they uh, had uh, two different versions of um, optical recordings, one in which the width of a light beam was modulated and the other in which the intensity of a light beam was modulated by sound, um, and those created uh, respectively variable area and variable density soundtracks on big glass discs. Versions of variable density tracks were used for decades in old black and white movies, and variable area tracks are still used in films today. Using a slight variation of his 2D imaging technique, Haber was able to pull one of the Volta associates saying barometer over and over again off the variable area disk. And reciting Mary had a little lamb off the variable intensity disk. Something must have broken in the middle of the first run, because halfway through it you can hear the reader exclaim, oh no, just before the recording cuts out. Two-dimensional images alone weren't enough to pull sounds from all of the Volta recordings. As I said, a phonograph record has a groove which moves from side to side. 
but uh, certain older phonograph records, but more predominantly the cylinder. Instead of moving from side to side, the information is encoded in a vertical uh, up and down hill and valley, if you like, movement of the surface. In order to image that, a camera doesn't work well because it doesn't give you enough information about that third dimension. So we applied a, there, a three-dimensional imaging strategy uh, to, to create these high-resolution digital images of that type of material. It's a little hard to make out, but if you listen carefully, you can hear the beginning of William Shakespeare's famous To Be or Not To Be soliloquy from Hamlet. How does being a particle physicist kind of tie in with uh, this work for, that you've been doing uh, for preserving sound? Like, how do the two kind of cross over? A, a lot of this uh, approach is, is very much like uh, how we might filter noise in uh, tracking data sets from a particle detector, uh, how we might assign hits to a track, how we might differentiate from between a good hit and a bad hit in a, in a data set. Um, it's very much like the, those same kind of ideas, but applied uh, instead to a, a very, 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 very long track, that being the track that wraps around a, a phonograph record. That's all for this week's Physics Buzz podcast. You can find more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and much, much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.